listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast with gamers and the insane fun. And we have a table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everybody. This is episode 42. And this week we're going to be talking about Dead of Winter. It's the answer for everything. <laughs> nice. You got. You, I think you beat half the table to that. Yes! Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't stopped to take my sip of my tea! <laughs> I am the king of nerds! Oh no. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't even know what the question was. What was the question? We have a planet for that. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> We're getting around We're to it. We're working on it. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the episode, everybody. We are officially one week away from Extra Life 2014. So this event is coming together. It's going to be really awesome. I'll let Chris take it away. He's been doing a ton of work planning this for us. So you know we've been talking about Extra Life. We had this event last year. This is the charity event for Children's Miracle Hospital and it's a 25-hour, at least it was last year, gaming event. This year it's 24 hours because we're not getting stuck with the extra hour. But what we're doing here in Saddlebrook, New Jersey at Gamers Gambit is we're going to have 12 hours condensed. We're going to condense 24 hours of gaming just, just like gamers can do into a 12-hour game period. So Gamers Gambit is going to run a number of different activities for us throughout the day including Dungeons & Dragons Attack Wing. So you've heard about this game, you want to play this game, this would be the perfect opportunity for you. Also, the Marvel Dice Masters, the new sets are out, and he's going to have them there for play. So you have an opportunity to get prizes, to play in the tournaments. In addition to all of that fun stuff, there'll be raffles throughout the day, there'll be free prizes and giveaways, and you'll just have an opportunity to meet with some tremendous gamers, donate money to a charity that will help save children, our future gamers out there in the world, to join us at the table. So it's a great opportunity, a full day of gaming, and a lot of prizes and a lot of fun, so you absolutely want to be there. You can check out BoardGamersAnonymous.com for more details on how to donate. If you can't show up for that day's event, you can still donate, and if you get picked with the raffles, we'll make sure that you get your games. Awesome. Our old friend John McCallion won't be able to be there, the uh, longtime reviewer of Games Magazine. But again, this year, he's going to be donating about uh, a dozen games to, uh, to raffle away. He's got, uh, what, out of his collection of some 2,500 games, he's going to be <laughs> sharing a few with us. So uh, that's awesome. He's a great guy. Been supporting us now every year. I, for me, I don't know how it's going to. Be, I'm going to handle it. It's so intense. There's just going to be so much going on. I'm going to. Mm. Last year, you, you couldn't make it for the event, but remember, you were on the phone and we were trying Constantly. to do the auctions. Uh, auction, yeah. I yeah. had to keep tabs. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony, for uh, yeah, being at the table when, it, when the call came. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like a hot game out there where you're like, hey, five bucks, ten bucks, what, what, twenty, thirty. Yeah. Everyone's kind of. It's a game inside of a game. So, well, if we knew exactly when the auction, we could we could tell people, phone in your bids. You sure. Know, why not? <laughs> All right, guys. So that's next week. If you are anywhere near Saddlebrook, New Jersey and want to stop by, definitely, definitely do so. Um, if you have any questions about it, too, just drop us an email. Email address is all on BoardGamersAnonymous.com or hit us up on BoardGameGeek. We'll get you all the info you need. All right. So, Drew, why don't you take it away with the rest of the news? Shout it from the tabletop! Hey, I got a couple quick quick hit game uh, news. These are pretty big. Uh, Rio Grande Games is going to be coming out with a deluxe package. 
um, larger maps. They're, they're going to be putting like all of Europe on one map and all of North America on another map. Um, they made a few tweaks and changes. This is their 10th anniversary coming up, so it's a real big deal for them. And should be a big deal for us. We get That seems to be the, the, the trend now. Big box. Yeah. Put everything in one. Especially for a game like Power Grid that has so many different expansions now. Uh, Flux is also uh, making uh, some major changes. They're coming out with 5.0. Uh, it's their first major change in six years. No more creepers. A uh, bunch of changes to some others. So if you're not crazy about the game, what they're trying to do is position this as a gateway. And really, we've all used that as a gateway game. We have a bunch of people that never played. Let's bring out Flux and see what they like. So, Whether you like the people or not. <laughs> I played the game like half a dozen times the first month I was gaming, and I haven't played it since. So yeah, gateway. Yeah. <laughs> well, not for you. You've gone past it. Exactly. exactly. I'm through the gateway. I'm over the hill. I'm halfway to the Golden City. In the <laughs> he's looking back, and he's waving. He's like, <laughs> I remember the gateway. I didn't know anything back then. That's the problem with Gateway, though. It's yeah, it suddenly becomes part of your past, and you think back nostalgic. Remember when I used to play that game? And you've gone so far beyond it. Yeah, and then you sit down to play it again and go, "Oh, yeah, now I remember why I stopped playing that game." But the the concept of gateway games is going to come up later in the news, so just hang with me. Um, in fact, let's go to it now. We have three items of award news to share with you. It seems like we're right in the thick of award season. Uh, the pertinent one is the Italian version of, I guess, uh, Essen. In November, Italy has their big game convention, uh, the Luca Comic and Game Convention. And starting last year, they started giving out awards focused on gateway games, specifically Great. on gateway games. So they've already announced them. Um, the uh, Jaco Delano Award for uh, Best Gateway Game is the Little Prince Make Me a Planet. Mm -hmm. You familiar I've with that? Yes. Yeah. I, actually, a funny story about that. When uh, we were at Myriad Games, I was in the store one day, and this uh, father who seemed to only speak French and his son, and they were trying to communicate that they were looking for this game, and we were able to barely make out the title and since this was kind of like the european child game that kind of reached america yeah. we were able to kind of grab this copy for a son who's absolutely thrilled it's really a, a fun little cute game awesome awesome all right seems like it's perfect the uh, deserving winner and then they also had a role-playing game of the year again a gateway role-playing game and that's savage worlds unusual choice because that first came out in 2003 that mm -hmm. game platform but they keep bringing out new scenarios and new new books for it. Um, congratulations to both those games. Also coming out of Germany, Fair Play Magazine has their annual a la carte award. And that's specifically for card games. Again, very tight focus. So One like award, best card game of the year. A la carte? Or? A la carte. A la carte. French. Okay. Carte for card. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Love Letter did not win. Came in second. <gasps> wow. A Bluxen, that game that keeps coming up. It keeps winning awards. Yeah. I wonder if it'll ever come here. I would imagine. Eventually. Or maybe people are afraid of it because it has two X's like Flux. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they think it's a Now that you said that, I'm out. <laughs> it's a French snobbery that they wouldn't take Love Letter as their main winner. <sighs> Bluxen has to be good. It's got to be good. So please, bring it to America. And the third award that they announced recently, the International Gamers Award, um, gave out two awards for general strategy, one for two-player games. That went to Limes. <laughs> if it's Abacus Limes. Spiel. Abacus, is it Abacus or Abacus? Abacus. Okay. Abacus Spiel. 
Let's go with uh, that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Roman era strategy game for two but, players. But as in the, the god of wine and drink, Bacchus? Or as in the counting device, Abacus? The, counting, the Chinese counting device, oh, okay. yes. It's oh, a okay. drink. Abacus. Abacus. Yeah, okay. <laughs> a Bacchus. Well, you could be drunk using the Abacus. There you go. <laughs> now, that's a, Ger- Abacus. that's a German game. And the multi-gamer award went to another German game, Russian Railroads. That's... Uh, isn't that German? Ironic. Yeah. yeah. So international gamers, and they're all German. So, mm, but you know what? Russian railroads. Germans. Russian railroads is deserving to some degree, but actually, I've been reading some things lately that it has been broken. <gasps> that there are some very sharp gamers that have figured out a particular strategy that will win them the game most of the time, unless they're playing with someone else who also has that strategy. And those people suck. <laughs> yeah, you know, they ruin it for the rest of us. But I could see that happening because it, it, we talked about this in our review that it just seems like there's maybe one or two paths towards victory. Yeah. And it doesn't have a lot of variation as far as that's concerned. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a certain formula calculation of like do this, do this, do this, and you win. Well, I've been playing it. Uh, I've been playing it some recently online on Yukata and uh, getting my. What's the phrase for online? Getting your pants... Uh, be- <laughs> beating the pants off me online. Um, pwned? Pwned. <laughs> pwned. Yeah. pwned? I hate that. I hate that word. Uh, yes, I've been getting pwned. Uh, <laughs> online, and I figure, I'm, I'm thinking now, it's the, you know, some people online are trying out the strategy and yeah. just racking up all sorts of points. So yeah, it's iffy at, at this point whether it's deserving of major awards mm-hmm. if you can break it that easily. Coming up soon in Chicago, Chicago has a big game and toy convention um, in, at the end of the year. I think that's November also. They've announced nominations for Inventor of the Year. What is really cool about that group is they throw the light not on the game itself but on the creator of the game. So the nominees, uh, there are five nominees for excellence in game design. Uh, probably two of the most prominent ones are Richard Garfield for King of New York and Stefan Bogan for Camel Up. Camel Up has already won a bunch of awards. But uh, I'm glad to see that designers are getting attention as just as much as their games are. But I'm also glad that they use the word inventor still. That's an old term. When did inventor start being supplanted by designer? Hmm. I think when Subway Sandwiches started coming out with their sandwich designers i think that kind of oh that kind of ruined all the ter- terminology went out the window at that point it became a marketing thing yeah but at the same time i mean that's what we've seen a lot in the industry now it's it's not so much about inventing creating something new but redesigning something that's already been out there well okay i, I thought about this like in connection with ticket to ride sure um alan moon invented a game he is a game inventor Yes. But now, ever since, there have been people redesigning it and coming out with new maps and little tweaks. And those aren't inventing. It's just a redesign. It's a redesign. Yeah. So it's important to separate the two. I mean, you could argue. I mean, most inventions are redesign of previous things or like, you know, sliced bread. The, the greatest inventions in sliced bread. There was bread. There was slicing. And sliced bread comes along because you put two <laughs> things together. But you had to invent a machine that would do it automatically. Yeah, yeah but invention. the idea, the invention is the the idea of sliced bread. We're right? talking about concept that sliced bread is yes. better than than <laughs> a, an entire loaf eating that. 
That's true. Okay. What are we talking about? <laughs> Sliced bread. <laughs> we're, we're, the side of the table is totally lost. So, so we'll just say that we went off the Russian rails? A little bit. Uh, little bit. Okay. <laughs> My point being is we should stop this use of game designer and call them what they are, game inventors. Yeah, Anthony, stop. God. Okay. Why are you keep doing that thing that Drew said? Yeah, okay. It's like they're, they're little <laughs> boutique uh, designers. Oh, I design this game. And look at this design and how attractive it is. No. You game been... artisans? Game artisans. <laughs> Craftsmen, yes. Okay, moving on. Oh, speaking of Richard Garfield, he wants to reboot Roborelli. Now, that's not the biggest news to some at this table. I happen to own Roborelli, and I love Roborelli. So the point that all our listeners should note is that Richard Garfield, through his, through his personal page on BoardGameGeek, has a poll. So he wants people to come and say whether they would be interested in a game, how much interest, something like that. So if you really want to see Robo Rally, here's your petition. Go to BoardGameGeek and go to Richard Garfield's site. Finally, this, this news just hit a couple days ago, but by the time that we go to air, everyone is going to know this. Magic the Gathering, the board game, is going to be released at Essen. So three days ago, this was released, Magic the Gathering, the oh, excuse me, strategy board game. What's a strategy board game as compared to just your run-of-the-mill board game? Well, we're hoping that it's actually more along the lines of a Euro game, and that it'll actually have some elements to it where you actually have to engage the game in a certain strategy and tactics instead of just having move a figure, play a card, move a figure, play a card. Because sometimes what we see with a lot of these really popular IPs is they try to cash in on different genres of games, but don't really put the thought into creating the actual game around it. Okay, so does this make you drool, or is this like a, eh? Uh, my gut reaction is, eh, but I guess we'll have to see who designed it and what they're basing it on. Yeah, there's not really many details oh, out there right now except yeah, for yeah. the game box and a little miniature. So we but, can figure there'll be miniatures. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Because like a game like Mage Knight, the board game, that worked out well, even though it was like this kind of archaic IP that had been out of print for a while. I still love the original Mage Knight, though. Do you think they're, they're trying to piggyback <laughs> on that? We'll Maybe. see. Yeah. I mean, if it's like Mage Knight, it's going to be crazy. So. Well, you guys listening already know what it's going to be like, so uh, we'll find out with you. Well, there's a, there's a miniature in this picture here. So. That's it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so we've got a miniature. Miniatures confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> we have a sighting of a miniature. And uh, that's all the news from the tabletop for this week. Alrighty, that's everything for the news. Uh, next up, our acquisition disorders for this week. Acquisition Disorder Corner. Alright, Acquisition Disorders this week. Uh, mine is a game Drew already mentioned on the news, and that's the 10th anniversary of Power Grid. Bigger board, which is kind of crazy. That box is already kind of big, so now it's even bigger, apparently. Wow. Um, maybe they get it to fold more? Maybe we get a smaller box? Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, and then you get individual components for each of the different resources, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, oh, that's exciting. I know the artwork's been updated a little bit, and people were a little upset about that. It's a little more cartoony. But mm. I never really felt like the game took itself too seriously. It was kind of in between, so going one direction versus the other, to me, is fine. I like, like, it's not super cartoony. It's just not a little munch, more. Not munchkin yeah. cartoony. No, no, no. <laughs> but the, the guy on the cover now feels like more of a character, whereas on the current cover, it's just a, a guy pressing a button. Mm, that's yeah. it. It's a guy pressing a button, and yeah. but the artwork kind of lends itself to that more of a like you feel like there's a story behind it, 
Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll have to see what it looks like. Um, it doesn't look like the game's significantly different, but there's like it's getting that kind of a ticket to ride treatment where so much stuff is new that now I want it. It deserves it. Yeah. yeah. They should reskin that with like a Simpsons theme. Have Homer pushing the button. Yeah, <laughs> I would buy that too. That would be amazing. Um, I don't think I brought this up in news, but one of the things they're changing: the garbage is out. Oh, and really? Natural gas replaced oh. by natural gas. That is cool. I mean, so makes... have yeah. countries stopped using garbage for? Uh, I don't think energy. So. No, not at all. No, no, that's still a thing people do. But yes. natural yeah. gas, I guess, with the fracking and all that, they want to. It's more timely, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Wait, wait so they, they said they're replacing the garbage? Replacing thing? garbage with natural gas. Entirely, really? That's yeah, strange. That is weird. It would make more sense almost if they replaced uh, like nuclear with that. Because yes. nobody's building new nuclear plants. Except for France. Well, Europe still is. Yeah, France still. is, all, I think, almost all nuclear. But other than that, yeah. I but guess. are they building new ones? Yes, exactly. Especially after... Fukushima? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that's interesting. I'll be interested to see what else they change yeah. and tweak, but I'm probably going to pick that up at some point because I like the game a lot and uh, the idea of everything kind of being upgraded. Even if I just get the components out of there, I'm happy with that. Yeah. As long as the old boards, the expansion boards, are compatible with the new one. Mm, yeah. Cool. And any of the expansions, they introduce thermal generators. The they they've got a there's just a breakthrough recently. A small company announced they produced a generator which can use the excess heat produced by other generators to augment their power production. I think. Does uh, Iceland do that? Like, uh, well, they, yeah, they do like well, geothermal, geothermal, geothermal. But this is like, you can put it next. I think it feeds off of the excess heat from existing generators. Is the idea? So oh, wow. it's mm. supposed to make a like three percent if it works as they say it will, which it probably won't. But if it works anywhere in that realm, it's supposed to make a significant difference for global warming. I mean, all the maps are a little different. Like, there's the one where um, certain parts of Eastern Europe can't use nuclear power. Huh. Because it's banned in those countries. That's oh, interesting. Cool. So it, it is cool what they do to tweak the maps. But yeah. yeah, I'd like to see that too. Sweet. All right, Danny, what do you got? Well, I've got two, but they only count as half each because they're both <laughs> just expansions. Um, the first is the Defenders of the Realm uh, Demon expansion, and Defenders of the Realm is just an amazing game, and having any chance to add anything to it is just an amazing opportunity. Uh, and this adds a lot more variability with the demons, kind of like the dragons did with dragon expansion did with the dragons, right? You've got much more uh, variability with what kind of dragons you might see. Uh, this one replaces the standard demon minions with different kinds of minions that have special powers, which I think would be really cool, because it did feel kind of samey sometimes when you're playing Defenders of the Realm, just all demons are exactly the same, <laughs> and that's not as interesting as it could be. So I'm really excited about that variability. Um, and the other one that I'm very excited for is the Kimmet Tosseti expansion. I loved Kimmet playing when we played through it. It's a fantastic game. And one thing that I really am excited about for this one is that it adds a fourth pyramid, which I think is supposed to be the Black Pyramid. Uh, they've already released images of the the figurines that go with you, the special monsters. There's the uh, Cryo Sphinx, which is sort of a large ram looking figure. Very cool. Uh, the Hieroco Sphinx, which looks kind of like a more standard Sphinx, um, but is, is distinct. You'll have to look at pictures of these. I'm not very good at describing pictures. And then <laughs> uh, mercenaries who are just humanoid figurines, um, and they're all going to have their own powers. Not a lot has been released about it yet, but one thing that I find exciting is introducing an entire new pyramid and an entire new tree of, uh, not technologies, but powers to build up. 
if there are still only three spaces in the cities, that means you'll have to pick three of the four powers, and you'll have to leave one of the power sets entirely untouched, no matter what. Mm, I and, like that. Yeah. Unless mm-hmm. there's a situation where you can completely get rid of a pyramid and then replace it at some point. Ooh, I like or, that too. Yeah, I like all of it. But <laughs> by adding that little bit of extra complexity, yeah. and it massively increases the number of available play options, right? Yeah. And that's, this is already a really replayable game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it massively increases replay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like yeah. the part with Kemet where you didn't have to pick, because you could do one on each pyramid or two, yeah. and then a one and leave one as a zero or, you know, remove it from yeah. the board. Yeah. You know, when people were doing that, you almost knew their strategy, at least initially. Mm-hmm. Having this extra pyramid really adds a lot more to the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because right. you're two, one, zero. That zero yeah. could be either one, right? And, the fact that when people build up, right, they're going to have to leave something out or they're going to have to swap something. I mean, again, I don't know. A lot of the details haven't been released here, so they might release a new board with four spaces. I think that would be a bad idea. Please release new boards. The boards are so bad. (laughs) Release new boards, but keep them with three spaces. I like the three, yeah. Yeah, Or even, like, you can make it, like, only available if you hit four and then upgrade. Oh, yeah. so it's like the super pyramid. It's like end game you know powers. Nobody ever gets the four anyway. We rarely get the four. That's, well, by the time you've gotten a four, you are usually looking at the end. The game. game's about yeah. to stop. You're just looking for victory points. I mean, because yeah. yeah. you really have to invest to get a four. Yeah. yeah, and you have to defend the four too. So I like the idea of the swap out. That that makes more sense. This is going to need a very big table because Kemet just yeah. as it is was <laughs> already pretty big. Yeah, yeah. But I'm looking forward to that. It's awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Well, for me, since this is Essen week, Essen's wrapping up. Everybody's talked about Essen for months, or at least as soon as Gen Con ended. Then I found out about this game being released at Essen called Essen. <laughs> it's, it's it's not just a, it's so meta. <laughs> well, it is. It's 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 an economic game where you are a game publisher and you have to bring your game to the convention and you have to create buzz and marketing and sales and you basically have to do everything that a game publisher has to do in order to win. I don't know why this was never thought of before. Um, you have to you know decide what kind of um, category your game is in. So many different ways to play this. It's a f- up to a four players, but they say you can put, you can double the size of the convention space, put two boards together, and have up to eight players. This would be wild. So if you can't go to Essen, well, buy this. <laughs> buy this. It's published uh, has a European publisher out of Finland, um, and it is in English as well as other languages. So if you don't mind, you know, shipping from overseas, order this. Ludi Creations out of uh, Finland publishes this. I would love to see it on the table. I want it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool. And there's been a few other games where they'll just add like Essen particular yes. um, expansions or something. Like yeah. I know Suburbia has Essen tiles. They're in the app, but yeah. um, you know I think they were given away at Essen. But there's yeah, there's yeah, this been... isn't promo. This is all yeah, about which is awesome. awesome. Like you take it all that cool stuff and you kind of combine it into one thing. And for all of us people who can't go to Germany and probably never will, Aww. we could live the life, <laughs> live the dream, man, live the dream, man. <laughs> Gen Con next year. Or bust! (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so that's everything for Acquisition Disorders this week. Uh, Next up, let's take a look at what we've been playing lately. At the table this week. Alright, so at the table this week, um, I have not been playing a ton of games lately. I uh, recently got promoted at work, busy with that, moving soon, busy with that. 
my wife is pregnant, due in two months, busy with, with that. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least a while. Yeah. Um, so, not a ton of time to get games to the table, except with my son, who, you know, I try to make as much time to spend with him as I can every weekend when I'm home. And this is the thing he likes to do right now, is play board games in his own special way. Awesome. You might have seen some of the pictures of him trucking around the components, because this is how we play. Uh, if If we can't involve a truck, we cannot play the game. That's, that's Jack's rule. Um, so there's a couple of games that we brought out, like Mice and Mystics, and I'm like, I know he's not going to get the mechanics necessarily yet, but I thought maybe he'd have fun with the mice, but I wouldn't let him drive the trucks on the board, so we can't play that. Uh, it did not work. So nothing with a board, basically, is the rule right now. Uh, the big one's been Imperial Settlers, because he gets to move around all the little components. But I figured I'd start getting him some games that are more his age range so we could actually play by the rules <laughs> so the first one i picked up was animal upon animal and oh yeah this is one uh i think eric summer and tom bass were talking about it on the dice tower once and i'm sure it's been around for a while but they were specifically talking about it as kind of like this perfect introductory dexterity type game for kids so i picked it up uh on amazon and jack and i've been playing it the last couple days and he loves it because he can pick up all his animals in the truck, bring them over to the Aww. crocodile. He gets to roll a dice. Um, it's just the one die, but to him it's a dice. Um, <laughs> and he gets to stack the animals, and he can do it, which is very cool. So the, the nuances of the actual rules of like when they fall, who gets them, and where they go, those don't always work out. But the basic mechanic, roll the die, place the animal, he loves it. This is a really good game for three, four, five-year-olds. Um, my son's three and a half, so definitely on the early end of that but uh, it's pretty cool and it takes like 10 minutes so it stays in his attention span wheelhouse <laughs> don't sell yourself short that's a great game for adults too I used to own it yeah no it's fun I'm like I have no problem with that as an adult game yeah, I haven't it's... played it with adults yet maybe I'll bring it over it's sometime. a nice party game yeah. yeah it's a lot of fun and I'm like I was sitting there just playing while he was off doing something with his trucks he's like I'm bored now I'm gonna go over here and I'm like okay how high can I get this <laughs> <laughs> how old's Jack right now uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Oh wow yeah. perfect age Yeah, Yeah. and he's got, you know, he's a short attention span, and if, again, if you can't bring a truck into it, it's not something he's interested in, but he does love the idea of games and trying to work within the rule set to some degree. And Anthony, isn't it nice to actually sit down at a game table with someone who doesn't have AP? (laughs) (laughs) It's quite the opposite. It is literally the opposite, yes. Although, to be fair... Uh, he uses one of his little semi-trucks to move the components for Imperial Settlers. And sometimes it'll take him a very long time. He's like, hold on. i got to stop, and we got to air up the tires, and we got to check the radiator. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just checking it. We're getting some gas. I'm going to stop and get some lunch. <laughs> like, he's playing his own little game inside the game. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, I don't really care. I'm just playing a solo game of Imperial Settlers. Um, <laughs> I foresee a, a successful future in logistics engineering. Seriously. we got to stop. we got to make time to, you know, to maintain the truck, to take care of the drivers. <laughs> this is a really, you know, shipping goods from one place to another is a complicated process. You can't just phone this in, Dad. Pick up deliver <laughs> games. Yeah, there's certain games he's going to be great for. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, yeah, so I'm, like, scouring my collection to see what does not have a board and fits his little... Um, interior monologue game world that he's got going on. Oh man, I hope but, you share more of those for with us. That's, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. definitely be picking them up as as he's able to play them. We'll be, a, we'll, I'll share the stories. Yeah, 
I love the way that this word, the title translates into other languages. It says, Dear up, dear, tear up, tear. And I think my favorite one is the Finnish Swedish edition, which is Elaine Pyramidi. Okay, I'm, just, I'm probably horribly butchering that, but I'm assuming that just means animal pyramid or something? There you go. Yeah, which it's basically That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fun. Or Pyramid of Elaine. <laughs> Pyramid of Elaine. Just yeah. Elaine's. Elaine's. Little Elaine's kind of beautiful. Yeah. It's a cute little game, and it's like, I think I paid $25 on Amazon for it, oh. so it must be like 30 retail. Yeah, not bad. It's nice. Hey, you know, I've been um, I've been cataloging uh, John's game collection, which has been taken forever, because <laughs> the guy has a lot of games. Um, but I've been going through a lot of games. I've been seeing a lot of games that John and I have played uh, with some few others one of them that, that uh, popped out that I really loved was Legacy, Duke, uh, The Testament of Duke de Cassy from t- last year. So I got that out of the box and brought it back to the table. I love that game because it has some unique mechanics, uh, a great wedding of theme and mechanic. It's basically about marrying off your kids to influential people and networking with uh, important uh, neighbors and whatever. It's it's It's... First of all, the warning is this is a crazy big footprint in this game. You really need a lot bigger table than we got here. Um, because you're just playing down. You're, you're basically creating a family tree, everybody. You've got you and your wife, and then the kids, and then their kids. And I think it's a four-generation game. So you're spread out by the time you're done. But there's a lot of different ways to win because all the people in the game have different skills or different interests. They have different nationalities. And then you can also play cards that, that highlight, uh, that give bonuses for certain skills and nationalities and combinations. So you really have to create a strategy early on and stick to it. Everybody can, can find their own path to victory. Uh, it's a great card game, and it's also a great worker placement game, basically. Great combination of that. Cool. Yeah, I've seen this one. Um, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I think it was in the Portal Games uh, little card sheet that comes with Imperial Settlers of this is the stuff we publish. Yeah. Um, it looked really interesting though. Like a it's a theme you do see, but not a not an implementation of it that you see. It's not that side of it. It's like the domestic side of this medieval type of a setting. Perfect theme. Yeah. Because really, that's just what they did. And that's what you have to do. Yeah. You How long to... does it take? Um well without AP you can you know forty five minutes. Okay, not bad. Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to try that out sometime. So what I got to the table was a game called Pirateer. This is a game from way back in 1978. And what you're looking what? at... I know! Way back machine here. Our classic. Come on, ah, corner. Classic. So, <laughs> it's so classic, it's got its own classic theme. <laughs> so in Pirateer, you're going to be playing a Pirateer. And you get three ships that are going to be shown by three round tokens that will have your symbol on it and you're trying to leave port to head off to this center island that has a gold treasure token and the game is very simple it's got a little bit of a backgammon kind of mechanic where you'll be rolling two dice and based upon the dice roll you can move your three ships one one die for each ship that you move or you can use both dice to move one ship you're trying to head over to the island land on the island, grab the gold token, and get back to your port. Now, so is everybody else. Now, the board's pretty interesting because you're all, each of you are going to start at a, a different end on this kind of rectangle-shaped board. The island's in the middle, and then there are these two streams. 
that kind of cross the board. So the thing about this don't, is... Don't, don't cross the streams. Don't cross, cross the streams. The streams. That's, that's always very, very important. So you can move into the stream, but the thing is that when you move into the stream, you can actually take this kind of toe down the board really quickly. So you're moving across the little squares, but the streams kind of move diagonally. So you can kind of move a way to kind of move quicker, but it also blocks you in certain circumstances. Now, if you grab the gold, everyone's trying to land on top of you, which would crush your ship and then kind of be an obstacle in the game. And then they would grab your gold. So it's a lot of randomness as far as can you get to the gold? Can you get back to your port? You know, if you roll a two and the only possible way to move is, you know, a one or a three, you're kind of stuck. So this game has a lot of randomness to it. It should not be a fun game. And surprisingly enough, it's kind of a fun game. <laughs> uh, someone grabbed the gold. I was able to knock them out. I grabbed the gold. I was running back. Someone knocked me out. And then a, a fourth person grabbed the gold and ran towards their port. And we just could not catch her at the end of the game. So I don't know why this game is fun. It shouldn't be fun, and it's actually fun. Well, it's got it's great review. It's got capture. It was got, surprising. No, that's yeah. great. That's, yeah, that's it's got to capture the flag feel of it. That's, Pretty much. I love those kinds of games. And it's pretty random with the dice, and there's a little strategy involved, but just a very little strategy, very little tactics. But it's a quick, fun game. So if you happen to see this at the table, it's it's a play. All right. So that's all the uh, at the table features for this week. Next up, we're gonna look at our feature review. Dead of Winter. And now for the feature review. All right, so we're going to go talk about Dead of Winter. So, of course, if we're going to talk about brains, <laughs> we have to go to our biggest brain, Drew. Oh, God, you're making use me the... that beautiful brain of yours. You're to... making me the biggest target, aren't you? Well, <laughs> any game I ever play with you, you know this. You are the biggest target because you do have the biggest brain. I'm the that tallest one, too. beautiful, juicy brain, Drew. So why don't you lead us with that brain of yours? Tell us about Dead of Winter. Well, I'm going to sum it up in a nutshell for you. Dead of Winter is Battlestar Galactica with zombies. Okay. And snow. And snow. <laughs> and lots and lots of snow. Have you seen the movie Snowpiercer? Yes. Okay. It's that kind of snow. It's okay. freezing, freezing so cold. So we've covered the dead and we've covered the winter. <laughs> so we're done, right? Yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Think of Battlestar Galactica with zombies on a train. And there you go. You got it. Is it on a train? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Snowpiercer was on a train. <laughs> Snowpiercer was on a train. I remember that. I remember that. Um, yeah. So, Drew, so we had a chance to play this at the game room in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, tell me about the game here. It, this is a game with a lot of setup. Okay. But one of those games where the setup is worth it. Um, and if you have somebody who is uh, ADD and or just loves to, you know, fiddle with things and set things up and, you know, are active, they're hyperactive, perfect, let them do it. Because um, it, it all pays off in the end. You, you've got your little stand-up characters. Okay. And you've got lots of decks of cards that need shuffling. Because you're going to be moving around a very frozen uh, board... Sure. With six locations, and every location has their own deck. That's great, yeah. So that's what's cool. The resources are going to vary from location to location. You're trying to, to duck from one location to the other, staying away from zombies, collecting resources, um, finding, um, what's the word, mouths to feed, basically, helpless sure. people, because you're going to keep adding more people. Uh, the, the zombies are going to keep coming. 
And every time that you move from location to location, every time that you attack and kill a zombie, you're exposing yourself to the bitter cold. And that's where the tension comes in, is, is the constant fight against wounds and frostbite and the need to find medicine to, to ward that off. Um, this is one of those games, the, the closest one I can think of is, um, the most recent one that we played was uh, Freedom, the Underground Railroad, mm -hmm. where it's not necessarily a clear win or lose, but you have certain number of losses, and if you go over that, you're done. So you, you really have to watch your losses, make sure you're, um, you can save as many people as possible, and once you've killed enough zombies, then you can win the game. Sure. But winning is relative. <laughs> Because there is one scenario that everyone is a part of, and everybody, just like in Battlestar Galactica, has their own role in it. Mm -hmm. So everybody gets a role card, an objective card. One of those objectives could be a traitor mechanism, where you're trying to fight against each other. But even if you're not a traitor, your, your priorities are going to be different than everybody else. So it just so happens, what um, when we played, did every, everybody won? Or did... Well, it was an interesting game because, as you said, when you when you look at this board, it's it's immense, right? And it, it definitely has a lot of fiddly pieces. You have all the decks for different locations. You start out, everyone has an agenda. The agenda will tell you your win condition. Yeah. So I think in the game, we were, I think all of us won with the exception of the person who was supposed to commit the betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the only reason why he didn't win was because... The betrayal always needs to knock the morale down to zero, which would end the game automatically and, and everyone would lose except for yeah. that person. They weren't able to knock the morale down below zero. And his betrayal also had that he had to have two characters with two guns. So he was able to get... Yeah, it's an odd It's an, a, odd, it's an odd kind of one. Yeah. So when, uh, you, when you play the game, you start with an objective to you know that everyone shares, as you were mentioning... Our objective in the game that we played was that we had to kill a certain number of zombies um, before the morale ran out, and then we each had our own special win conditions, which are typically you need to complete the objective and then have something additional happen. My thing was the collector, so I need to win the objective and collect four items at the end of the game, which kind of casts a little bit of suspect because I'm holding on to additional materials mm -hmm. that makes it look like I'm a betrayer because why am I holding on to this additional equipment? And I think throughout the game, you're watching other people's actions and they're doing things that are a little odd. And you're like, ah, are you just, you know, is it just your agenda but you're with us or are you trying to just completely tank us? That's the Battlestar Galactica yes. uh, mechanic because every round there's a crisis card that's turned up and in addition but, to the objective. in addition to everything else yeah. so uh, once around the table everyone has to contribute cards which will uh, hopefully alleviate that crisis yes. just like Battlestar Galactica and you never know what you're putting in the deck so somebody could sabotage everybody else yeah I mean this sounds like a really interesting mechanic so I mean I didn't get a chance to play with you guys unfortunately but the idea of everyone having their own agenda that will make them act out of line with the primary goal means that it, it sort of masks the betrayer better than most games with a traitor mechanic mm -hmm. would, or so it seems yes. to me, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to just say, there's the traitor, got ya, right? As you can <laughs> with a lot of these games, right? Yes. Because everyone else is doing, let's go do plan A, and they're like, I don't know, what about, you know, going out there without guns, guys? I don't know, maybe they just want to talk. <laughs> like, 
so there's actually one more layer of complication to this. So we talked about the overall scenario that everyone has to work toward. We talked about the cards that every player gets, which explains their particular motivation. The crisis that comes up each round. We talked about, right, the crisis that's once around. And every single player turn, a card is turned up for that particular player. Yes. Which crossroads. creates a crossroads card. Yeah. So sometimes you have four different things that you have to keep in mind. Not just action. I mean, we're not even talking about actions. We're oh, talking yeah. about four motivations that you're going to have every time you take a turn. Um, and you have to balance all these. And the crossword cards are really the most interesting part of this game because they those are the cards that really give story to the game. Now, at one point, one of the cards was if someone had a certain character, something triggered. So I think we had a point in the game when somebody was a psychiatrist and he had two options, which was either hoard medicine or look at someone's agenda and see if they were a traitor or not and then tell the group about it. So they could lie, obviously, too, but it was one of these kind of mechanics that changed each time depending on where the game was, which characters were in play, and what situations were unfolding. So th those cards weren't always in play because yeah. if they didn't apply, you just tossed them. So they, but, they was kind yeah. of a hit and miss as far as that was concerned. Yeah, but that's fine because that still gives the, the game does. variability. You mm -hmm. never know what you're going to get hit with. And that's the thing. There's no such thing as perfect knowledge in this game. You never knew when... Uh, the, the one thing you knew is how many zombies were going to come into each location because if you had two people in location, two zombies were going to come in. Um, but then there were also more zombies for different reasons, so sure. you never knew. So if you went to a special location, then, you know, if you had three people there, three people were going to, three zombies were going to show up. But if you were searching and you made noise, then an, a die would have been rolled oh, to see yeah. if additional zombies would have been added to that location if they heard you making the noise. The more searching you do, the, well, the, yeah, the, the more making, noise you make. The more noise you make, and then you have to roll that die. But in addition to that, you could build barricades that would stop the zombies from coming in, which would cost you one of your actions. It seemed like a balanced game, didn't it? I mean, Very there was always so. that tension that... Yeah, so when you start the game, you get dice, and you're able to roll the dice, and, and based upon the number of the die, you were able to look at your card and see if you were able to accomplish a search action or an attack action, or you could just spend the die to build a barricade and as the game goes on, you would be able to get additional characters, which would give you additional dies, which then you could spend as actions. So one of the things that I was able to do in the game was I had the lawyer, and the lawyer allowed me a special action to look at someone's card randomly. And just by chance, I picked the person who was the betrayal, and I, I looked at one of his cards, found out it was an equipment that we need to um, avert the crisis that he did not play and then on my turn you could accuse and I accused him I'm like he's a betrayal and, and everyone was like they weren't sure what to do unfortunately it was a 2-2 vote and the person who was you know committing the betrayal was like nah I'm not gonna throw him I'm not gonna make myself an outcast which is another element to this game which even if you are the betrayer you can be cast out and then you have a whole separate situation to kind of follow. If you are not the betrayer, you can still be cast out and you still have a, a separate situation. So being an outcast is actually a nice, fun, different version, which kind of lines in with the Battlestar Galactica kind of mechanic, where if you're a Cylon, you're found out. Now you have a different set of agendas to kind of accomplish. 
Yeah. So that was kind of a fun part. So we kind of, I knew he was, or at least I thought he was, but he continued to play and it turned out he was at the end of the game. So, Well, Anthony, Daniel, you can tell by the, the, the enthusiastic retelling of the session, <laughs> we're talking about that more than our impressions of the game sure. or, or reviews that we really did enjoy this. Um, it, how long, how many hours was it? It took a very long time. I, I think that we played the game for at least two and a half but hours. I didn't feel that. Yes. It felt like it just flew right along. That was so surprising too because it's a zombie game and there's just so many zombie games out there and it was just surprising to play a zombie game where you really didn't feel like you the zombie kind of skin was just in your face the entire time. There was just a lot of interesting decisions to make. And as you picked up characters, they had special abilities, and that kind of added to the game as well. Yeah, it's the semi-cooperative ver- uh, f- facet of the game, plus the fact that each turn you turn up a new card that you have to deal with. Yeah. This sounds like probably the most nuanced and complex and and a- appropriate version of a zombie game so far. Because right? I'm thinking of the other zombie games I've played, you know, zombies with three exclamation points and all these games. And a lot of times, like, well, there are zombies here. Sure. Um, it's nothing special about this theme that really makes it feel appropriate. I mean, it's not particularly inappropriate. It's just not very engaging. But this sounds like it really hammers in the idea of a bunch of people who are not necessarily totally cooperative, who still need to work together just enough to survive against the zombie horde and the ravages of the winter and disease and famine and injury and all of that. It's not just that it's a good example of the zombie genre, but in the semi-cooperative uh, mechanic, you could yeah. say, of the game. It's actually one of the best games. Yes, I because agree. the four motivations that you have to deal with every turn. Yeah, yeah. This is the Walking Dead, the board game, as it should have been done. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as Drew was saying, it absolutely is the best semi-cooperative slash betrayal kind of yeah. game that I've played. It is massively fiddly. It's massively kind of AP complex because there's so many things going on. There's so many things to keep track of. There's so many decks. There's so many ways to miss little things here and there. But the game does play somehow so smoothly that you don't recognize the hours that are going by. Yeah. So I recommend that uh, if you play this game, tip the guy who set it up and uh, yes. <laughs> b- reboxed it. Yeah. <laughs> Show appreciation for all the work he did. So I would pl- this is a this is a solid play for me and not being a huge zombie fan, I'm I'm kind of surprised by that. Just because of the setup and because the amount of time that it would go into teaching the game and kind of pulling all the different elements together, it's not a buy for me, but a solid play. What's the um? What's the price point? What's the sixty? Sixty. Actually, it's pretty good for what you're getting. I, I would make it a buy. Sure. That's definitely, it's replayable. The, the number of cards that you have, the different objectives, the crossroads card, was, the crossroad deck was huge. Yeah, the components, the, you get a lot of standees in the game. You get a ton of standees for the zombies. So, mm-hmm. But yeah. component-wise, it's worth it. Definitely worth the 60 bucks. I mean, just listening to you guys talk about it and reading what I have about it, I definitely want to play it. And I want to play it with an eye towards buying it, right? This is one of those... You take. I want to take it for a test drive before I take it off the lot. Sure. But uh, I'm already so very interested in it that really I would be just... I'd be looking for reasons not to buy it, but if I couldn't find any, pick it up the next day. All right. Yeah, I think the game allows a certain level of complexity that's that looks overwhelming, but actually in the play isn't. It's just a lot... You just have to keep an eye and manage a lot of different things. But it's not, it's not too complicated. I think like when we were playing... 
uh, Freedom. That was a little bit of a mathematical kind of like brain burner AP. This is just like, I got to keep track of all the decks. I got to keep track of when things happen and then make sure everything happens in the right sequence. And if you have someone to do that, Anthony, then we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so Don't, you need a game master. You need Anthony. You, you need a game master who runs the narrative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you like a certain amount of randomness, but not too much, I think the dice mechanic is perfect. You're rolling the dice at the beginning of your turn, you know exactly what you have, so you can decide how you want to apportion the dice. Perfect way of using them. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I mean, this game is not something that even remotely looked interesting to me, but now you guys made me possibly want to play it. Ah. Um, and they have a, there's an uber mode for this, uber hard mode, but I can't imagine playing that because it's just... It's quite a complicated game. It's where you, you actually to grab real guns and go find actual zombies. <laughs> You're like hiding in your bathtub with a blanket over your head. <laughs> it's the dead of winter. I mean, I, we've heard about this game you know, quite in advance, and they, they talked about uh, doing different themes with this crossroad mechanic. So for me, I'm waiting for the next version, whatever it may be to maybe make it a buy, but it's it's a high-quality game. Yeah, and this is a promising beginning for that mechanic, right? Because sure. this is supposed to be launching a line of games yeah. all built around the same mechanic, and if it's able to capture this level of sophistication and complexity uh, in a genre that's typically had a lot of trouble doing that, sure. uh, that's a very exciting start for the Crossroads system. All right, cool. I definitely want to give it a shot now. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> You're supposed to say, oh, it was, it was horrible. You should dodge. You didn't miss like, anything. Didn't miss anything. All right, all right. <laughs> cool, yeah. Because then I'm not like, oh, I couldn't go. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a big footprint, a big... Uh... Yeah, yeah, just list them all. All yeah. the negatives. I want to oh, know. Oh, we'll get them. <laughs> but we played on really cool tables. One of the game tables at... Um, what's the name of the place? The Game Room in Woodbridge, New Jersey. The Game... Yes. <laughs> they sell these tables. Nice and huge. Plenty of room. So... If, if you're looking for a good game table, there's you. All right. All right, so that's everything for the feature review. Next up, the final round with Drew. Final round this week. The 24th is United Nations Day. and made me think of games that, uh, well, yeah, games that support the theme of peace of the United Nations, but also games that just involve all of the United Nations, the whole world. Game boards that you, the whole scope of the world is at your feet. So large-scale format games sometimes, too. Or games about bringing the world together in peace and harmony. My game is just the opposite. It's Risk, obviously. I'm, I'm a lifelong Risk player because I, I'm a lifelong Risk tinkerer with mashups and variants and house rules. Um, it, it's not historically accurate because the UN does not have uh, Irkutsk and Yakutsk and Kamchatka as uh, members, but... Uh, Neither does the UN really succeed at bringing peace all the time. It seems like it's been a world at war ever since 1945, and Risk just admits that. It's a constant state of war. <laughs> so let's, uh, you know, let's set the world on fire. Um, play Risk any way you want. It, it doesn't have to be lame and boring and long. It's just adaptable to whatever you want it to be. Great game. Well, it, it's not a game with a map, per se, but it is a game about the United Nations oh, directly, and it's, okay. it's a, one of, a game I really enjoyed playing, and it's Article 27. And so Article 27, you play as members of the Security Council, plus Germany, because it's German, <laughs> um, but you're the five permanent members of the Security Council, and you're trying to leverage your interests uh, against one another sometimes, or with one another when possible, uh, to 
gather the most resources. I think you gather the most victory points for your team by the end of it, right? Just coming out on top, come out on top. Uh, I think it's a great game though because it kind of shows how the UN works or doesn't work. What is right? Veto powers are destructive <laughs> to your goals. You have to be you have to tip your hand towards your interest without making them too strong. So a lot of times I found that the best way to get what I wanted was to try to oppose it. And then people who thought I was winning would start fighting against me. And I'd be like, all right, you guys win. And then get a bunch of points. But yeah, Article 27, a great game. It runs quick. It runs smooth because it's based on a timer. Yeah, it's just oh, really? So on the, I was going to ask you, on the heavy scale, it's sort of to the late end of it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty light. I mean, there's a lot of negotiation involved. So very complex and sophisticated nice. negotiation okay. mechanic there, actually. And it has a wooden gavel. It has a wooden gavel. It does. For the uh, Secretary General. Yep. Cool. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. So for me, it's, um, I guess, in line with Drew's pick, uh, not so much on the peace and harmony, but more on the uh, mutually assured mass destruction. <laughs> Come um, on, guys. <laughs> mine's uh, Twilight Struggle. So this is a game that has an entire map of the world. It's not really about the rest of the world. It's only about two of those countries and their struggle to control the hearts and minds of the various countries through propaganda sometimes and through cannons and missiles at other times. Um, <laughs> this is the story of the Cold War. Um, this is actually a spectacularly good game. It's just really hard to get to the table for a couple of reasons. Incredibly fiddly, very large, only two players, and takes like two to three hours. Um, teaching it's also not exactly a fun endeavor either. So... Uh, and it's the kind of game you don't really start to get much out of. I mean, it's fun the first time through, but you really don't know what's going to come because there are different phases and the cards are different in each phase. So if you don't plan for that, you're not going to do very well unless you get lucky. But the more you know about the game, the more you can plan for that. So it's kind of the kind of game if if you have somewhat fun the first time, you want to play it like four times and then you really start to see the nuance of the game. Uh, so it's definitely not for any everybody, but in terms of global scope... Uh, it's pretty cool. During during the Cold War, I mean, the UN was basically playing out the Cold War. You had the first world countries with America and, and then Soviet Union's countries and then all of these non-aligned nations that they were all fighting over. And they didn't really matter in the scheme of things. It was just these two massive superpowers using the UN for its own, own aims. Yeah, it was like a game of tug-of-war. And the UN was very much involved in that, whether, they, you know... <laughs> Willingly or unwillingly. Willingly, or, yeah, exactly. For me, when you think about global crisis and you think about the UN and, and how they cooperate together, probably the best situation is when they deal with global pandemic. So I'm going to pick pandemic. Now, mm, yeah. we're dealing with a global crisis right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes there are a lot of things that we think are very important to us as, as far as our nationality, our national interests. But when it comes to, you know, situations with disease, they never take into consideration you know, race, class, or nationality. So if you're looking to play a game that really kind of incorporates the best that the world has to offer, facing a global, you know, problem of such massive scales, um, pandemic really does, you know, really make you feel like we are one community and we're just serving each other. So uh, my choice is pandemic. It's interesting. It's very American-centric in that the, 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 the focal point is Atlanta, the center of disease control, not the World Health Organization. Sure. 
which in a, in a worldwide pandemic would hopefully take the lead. Well, it, it's not entirely inaccurate. So the CDC has some of the most sophisticated labs in the world. And so like, historically, when there have been Ebola outbreaks, usually it's the CDC that takes control. They step in. Because okay. they have the funding and the resources to do things like contain Ebola. We, we just didn't react quickly enough this time, and it hit a major urban center. But Yeah, we, and actually the uh, one of the major anniversaries for um, Doctors Without Borders mm-hmm. just kind of passed, and that just reminds us, too, that you know, we are a global community and uh, that kind of reaction and that kind of, you know, even gameplay just kind of reminds us of that and what, you know, where we should put our resources. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's our final round. All righty. So that's everything for this week's episode. Um, make sure that you connect with us on Facebook, on Twitter, at BGA Podcast. We're on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We're on BoardGameGeek. And if you are in the Saddlebrook, New Jersey area next week, Come out and join us for Extra Life. You will have a blast. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Uh, But that is everything for this week's episode. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table.